This is a post-Christian podcast. We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Welcome to the sacred collective. Um, We're going to do roll call. I'm Brian. I'm Caleb. I'm Garrett. So we have Garrett. This is your first timer. Um, but you, I've known you through Revolution, um, and I've, that's also where Caleb and I go back. Um, so welcome. Thank you for coming to Sacred Collective. You're actually going to lead us in our conversation tonight, or our discussion. So I'm just going to hand it off to you and go from there. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to join the Sacred Collective. I know I've been trying to get on the calendar with Caleb for quite a while, so it's excited that he finally had a day that worked out for both of us so it was really cool um caleb asked me a couple of days ago to come up with a topic or something to talk about and uh first thing that popped into mind was just to talk about love i know it uh it's a hot topic at revolution church too that jay likes to talk about but uh one thing that um that i heard is that's really been hitting me in the heart is that you know love isn't supposed to be a 50 50 thing supposed to be a hundred zero you know true love means that you give a hundred percent of yourself without expecting anything in return mm-hmm. and no matter what the other person does you keep giving a hundred percent of yourself um regardless of that because that's really the most important thing and uh, in my mind as far as like the word goes it's the most important thing in there too i know before i heard that on like a podcast I was uh, reading through Corinthians and, you know, just nails it right on the head. You know, you could have everything else in the world, but without love, it'd be worth nothing. And I think that's a big thing in our society and how separated everyone is between economic classes, race, gender, um, even belief systems, you know, everything like that is none of that would really matter if everyone was focused on love first because then they wouldn't care about the rest of it but mm. can you give your own basic definition of love real quick is it altruism is it selflessness is it just the you know putting others before yourself or you know can you can you give a in uh 140 characters or less <laughs> <laughs> is this a, is this twitter <laughs> Um, interesting. I, uh, I guess, you know, when I think of love, I just think of trying to live out your life like Jesus did. Um, and I guess that is kind of selflessness, but ultimately it's being willing to do the right thing. Um, I mean, I guess in the eyes of being able to do the right thing without worrying if there's going to be any benefit for you in it, knowing that even doing that right thing could bring you harm or death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when I think about that, I mean, I think about sacrifice and like the ultimate sacrifice, right? Like not just being shot 
but being willing to be tortured and brutalized and crucified mm-hmm. and doing that for other people without the expectation that they're going to do anything because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that might sound kind of cheesy, I guess, but that's just what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of describing Jesus, John the Baptist, Peter, eventually Paul, because they were all crucified in a way because of that, like you said, that sacrificial love that uh, you know got him killed. I mean, obviously Jesus died for the love of humanity, um, going against the religious elite, going against the religious teaching, I guess, or the law. John the Baptist was beheaded because, I mean, and cool thing was John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin, um, and then Peter was crucified upside down. That's just crazy. Like, why? Not only could you get crucified, like Jesus crucified on a cross, but then Peter got crucified upside down. Mm-hmm. Why they did that, I don't know. But I do, I do, I agree with you, Garrett. Like, I think, and I think what you were saying within Corinthians is First Corinthians thirteen, like the love chapter, which people always think of that as like maybe more romantical, but I think that's more of kind of that sacrificial love that that I would say if a Christian was like, how how would you describe love? I would look at First Corinthians 13 of, you know, the greatest one of these is love. You know, you know they have hope and what is it? Like faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Because it's great to have faith and hope, but if you don't have faith or hope without love, without that understanding and, and that concept of loving your fellow person, or your fellow man, fellow woman, fellow person, fellow human, then that's you're doing it, you know, for the, all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I feel like it does kind of beg a question, you know, just to be devil's advocate. Isn't there a point at which loving someone looks like, you know, setting boundaries and stuff? Because you, you said expecting nothing in return. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, that um, you have a sibling who is a heroin addict. And every time they come back to you asking for more money or needing a place to stay, you know, obviously, like, you know, they're still using and don't have a desire to get clean. And you want to love them. Is is love always going to look the same? Are you always going to hear here's some more money, here's some more food, here's a place to stay, or or is there you know um, it does tough love as they call it you know factor in there where it's like I'm going to help you get into a program, but but then if they don't want the program, you know I just feel like it's just such a nuanced kind of thing. I think that uh, in that perspective there is like let's say you let's take that sibling right uh you still love them but you're not gonna go with them to do heroin Mm -hmm. and so when they come back to you and they ask you for help you know you can you still have a hundred percent love for them Mm -hmm. And you don't expect anything from them, especially at this point, probably right. because yeah. you know yeah. track record. Yeah, but a precedent has been set. Right, but that doesn't change the fact 
that you still 100% love your sibling. Mm-hmm. You just now know that if I do give this person money, this is probably what they're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I was dancing around was absolute love within the context of boundaries. Yeah. And I think it is really important to have boundaries like, you know, association has a huge effect on people's lives. You know, like if you grow up in a certain association and that's all you see and all you know, that's kind of how you're going to turn out more than likely until you get around different association, whether it's good or bad or whatever. But if you don't make the decision to change that association, like it's one thing if you're born around it, but it's another thing if you stay around it. Mm-hmm. And so I think with like the boundaries things, like you can still love your sibling, but that doesn't mean that you have to be around them all the time. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change how much you love them. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, it's like you need to, you do need to have boundaries mm-hmm. because, for instance, you know, this makes me think of when Jesus told the disciples to go from village to village and perform miracles. He said, but if, if any of them deny you or don't like what you're saying, brush the seat, brush the dust off your sandals and leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, so you don't have to stay there because where you're being persecuted or where you're not, where the love's not being returned to you. Doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means, hey, this isn't good for me, so I'm gonna walk away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe just uh, chasing still that same example, the whole sibling thing. You're talking about true love being, you know, one hundred zero being the exchange rate versus you know fifty fifty. What what would a situation look like that look like, do you think, as 50-50? Would it be like, well, I helped you enough and now I'm cutting it off? Or, 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 or does it look like you get to a point where you're resentful and you're like, oh, well, you know, you know fuck that person. They're, they're, they just keep on, you know, making the same mistakes over and over and taking advantage of me. Like what, what, what does it look like when you don't when you do love but not to the to the full extent that you're describing? I think if it was 50-50, it'd be a lot of disappointment, which would turn into resentment. Mm-hmm. Because you're now you're giving what you think is what you should give, 50%, which means you're expecting that 50% to be matched back to you right, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And since it's never being matched and you're expecting it, now you're disappointed, which leads to resentment, which ultimately will lead to you probably just avoiding that sibling even or or saying yeah i know like that's my sibling but we don't talk anymore Mm -hmm. like if that person called me i wouldn't answer because they're always trying to just get something from me Mm -hmm. i did all this for them and you wouldn't believe what they did in return right yeah but i also look when you do with love as at the time i didn't look at it as a love type of thing Uh, like Many years ago, 2005, to be specific, my dad passed away. I could talk about that ad nauseum, but like I found my dad deceased. I was working at a church, and he died of a heart attack, blah, blah, blah. But um, I had just turned 20, almost 22 at the time. Of course, you know, as a young person in college, I like to drink. 
And I still appreciate drinking now, and I can appreciate having a couple beers or a couple cocktails and, and not, you know, have the mindset, have the boundaries of, like, this is my limit. You know, I'm not going to get drunk. I don't abuse it. I understand the power that alcohol has over people. But I ended up really being an alcoholic. Um, and I actually remember talking to a counselor and a therapist, and they were like, you're one of the very few that can actually um, tone like, I, I would say I don't have an addictive personality. I maybe can be addicted to certain things, but alcohol isn't one of those things I could go, you know, weeks and months without drinking. But at that time, going through it, like, I mean, I almost got expelled from my college, my Christian school that I was at. But they didn't expel me, which was a grace by the grace and probably love of, of God. But I actually had close friends, you know, uh, I'm not going to out them. But a, a one close friend that I had since I started school, and actually one of those friends actually turned out to be my wife, Amanda, who's part of the podcast, they actually went to uh, a professor at the college that I was really close to, that we had bonded, you know, I had several classes with this particular professor, and um, he had a kind of a checkered history before he, he kind of turned his life around. And they went to him and were like, hey, you know, this is a story of what happened to Brian. Um, he's really, we're, we're not doing this because we're not ratting him out. We're not wanting to get him in trouble. But we care about him. We love him. We want the best for him. Um, we don't want him to see turn into an alcoholic. We don't want him to be like somebody out in the street. And then even w w with that, with those people going to that professor, that professor talking to me, with student life talking to me, and then even having my own mother and f my mother and my brother come to me and say out of love to say you know this is destroying you this is hurting you we know you're doing we know you're doing this not because you want to be divisive you want to be a jerk or an asshole but you're doing this because you're hurting you're 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 in pain and then that was to me this realization of I wasn't doing it because I want, like, because no one feels good with a hangover. No one feels good, you know, puking their guts out and then waking up the next day and be like, "What? Who the hell am I? Where am I at? You know, what are my actions?" But kind of going with what you're saying, Garrett, even with you, Caleb, is like, there's definitely those boundaries where you have to be like, "Okay, I love you," but even out of this love, I have to draw these healthy boundaries of like, I have to. Maybe not be around you. I maybe have to say tough love or tough things. But I know in hindsight, looking back at that, you know, over 15 years ago when that happened, I can say none of those people had ill will. None of those people were um, trying to get me in trouble. But they were doing that out of, I think, that Christ-like love that Christ talks about, especially in the New Testament where... Uh, you know, we, sometimes we talk about love as this frou-frou-y kind of like, it's going to make you feel this way or that way. But no, when you're in community and being a part of Christianity, if you adhere to that, is being in community. You're, you're being with other human beings who have checkered backgrounds or, you know, we're all on our own journeys of whatever we're at. But then trying to, and I would say all of us here, like if we see someone going down a path that's, maybe a little bit destructive, I think we would want to, whether you're a Christian or not, but specifically since we're more, I would say, Christian, 
adjacent or Christian oriented, we would want to go to someone and be like, hey, you know, like out of love, not out of judgment, but like I don't want to see you be destructive in your own life because I would say you're when you're destructive in your own life, it's never just your own life. It always is a ripple effect out, whether it could be other friends, it could be relationships, it could be children, it could be whatever. Um, I know it's kind of a roundabout thing, but I, I think a lot of times when people say stuff out of love, we don't always hear it as love. We hear it as judgment. Mm-hmm. We hear it mm-hmm. as uh, you're pointing fingers. But there's that fine kind of line of where people think it could be judgmental. But I also think I think most people, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, they're not doing it out of judgmental um, ideas. They're doing it because I hey I legitimately care about you as another human, and as and maybe even as a Christian uh, of saying like hey this is really destructive and I care about you, but obviously within the boundary kind of aspect you have to have boundaries that you set up, and I'm sure most friendships have those boundaries that you have. Yeah. I- I liked a lot what you said there, and you know, it made me think about, I used to have this roommate, and me, him, and my ex-girlfriend lived together, and he was going through a really tough season in his life where he had been through a lot of heartbreak, and he was, um, it just ended his second marriage, and uh, I mean, that he thought he was going to have kids, you know, and stuff, and it was really hard for him, and and. I had just met him a little bit before that, and he sort of we started living together. And I mean, the way that we met was just like totally the universe pushing us together, and we're mm-hmm. still really good friends. But he told me because he knew the season he was in. He said, "Garrett, if you ever notice that my drinking becomes a problem and it starts to affect our relationship, please tell me." And I remember the exact time, a day it was, where we were. And I remember I was in the kitchen. He was in the kitchen with me. And I was just like, hey, man. He's like, what's up? I'm like, remember when you told me to let you know if this became a problem? Mm. He said, yeah. I said, and I just looked at him. He said, is this you telling me that? And I said, yeah. And he was like, thank you. Wow. He's like, that means more to me than you could ever know that you were willing to tell me that. Because a lot of people I used to call friends wouldn't have told me that. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, when I think about love, I think about, you know, this love is patient, love is kind, but love never gives up, too. Correct. And especially at this point in time in our society, love is used, the word love is used incorrectly. Like, the word love is used right now to get a reaction that you want. Like, for instance, uh, with women, right? When they hear, I love you, it makes them feel a certain way, which makes them want to trust you, which men or women might use with men too. It could go either way, but it could be used in a way to get something that you want. Mm -hmm. You know, like you could say that, but then after you get what you want, you'll leave. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not true love. That's lust. Right. Right. And so when it gets so misconstrued and it's used in the wrong way so much, now there's people saying, well, they're just saying that they love you because of this. They're just saying that because of this. And it's like, well, 
they probably learned that from somewhere. But also, you know, if if it was true love, like no matter what, it would stay. And that's where like you were talking about with like your friends and peers saw what you were going through and they loved you enough to do something about it. They didn't attack you and say, you have to change. You're a bad person. They said, hey, we love this person. They need help. Here's the best way I know to help them. Right. And and to this day, following off what you're saying, Garrett, is I think to this day why I'm friends with them. And one of those friends became my wife. Um, And I think looking just in my own life is, I mean, that was so monumental, I guess, in just in my spirituality and my faith to be like, because I mean, I've struggled through stuff in my life. I mean, we've all have our ups and downs, you know, valleys and peaks. And, and I actually, I maybe have said this on the podcast before, but I had a friend of mine in college who, you know, was me and him were both going through a lot of shit at the same time, just totally different. And like he, you know, one of his brothers had called me because I was wondering, where is my roommate? Where did he go? And he went, he's here in the cities, but um, just for the sake of anonymity, I'm not going to say who he is, but like his brother called me up and was like, yeah, my brother drank like a handle of vodka, like a massive ass bottle of vodka. And somehow he drove himself home, parked his car in the lawn and just passed out in the lawn, puked all over the place. And I was like, and they were like cover for him. And tell the RA, tell the, you know, his teachers that, you know, he's sick, whatever. So that's what I did, you know, and because I'm not, uh, you know, everyone goes through their own issues and their deals. And if you're a good friend, you know, and this wasn't like an habitual thing. It was just this one time thing. So I was like, okay. And then fast forward, you know, this guy goes on a missions trip. This happens in a lot of evangelical circles. This guy goes on a missions trip, totally gets transformed whatever you want to say and he comes home and is living with me and he becomes super judgmental and becomes like oh i got totally radically saved you know using all this evangelical language like i don't do this anymore whatever and then he went in my personal area in our dorm went into like my drawers where my clothes were like my homework and stuff and dog until he found my pack of cigarettes that I had and then found like a bottle of Southern Comfort, which I don't drink that anymore, but it was that was my go to drink back then and try to out me and tried to just say how terrible of a sinner I was, how terrible of a Christian I was. Why would I do that? And I ended up confronting him and said, biblically, you were supposed to come to me first. And I said, if you follow the scriptures, you were supposed to come to me and say, hey, you know what, Brian, you're doing this destructive behavior. And not even as a Christian, but as I would say as a human being, you should go to someone and say, hey, you're doing this destructive behavior. I'm not saying this because I want to be a jerk, but I care about you. I don't want to hurt yourself. But but what he did is he went to my RA, then he went to my the student life department, Without even telling me. So then I get a phone call from the student life. And so then I met with my student life people, 
met with my RA, and they were just like, why are you doing this? And that was at the same time that I was, you know, after my dad had passed away, and I was like, I'm in a bad spot in my life. I'm not going to deny it. I said, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't. I'm like, I never do it on campus. I said, I have the, I'll, I'll, I'll have them on school property, but I, you know, bring it home and I do it, which did help me. But more or less what I'm trying to say is like, he did that out of the wrong intentions and the wrong motives. He did it because he thought he was holier than thou. He did it because he wanted to prove a point like, I did this and, you know, and now I'm going to come in and say this. And I, and I ended up bringing it up to him. And I said, you know, if you came up to me one-on-one and said, hey, you know what, Brian, you're, you're more drunk than sober or you're smoking like a pack a day, I don't know what you're going through. And that's another thing, like, if someone's like, my cat died or, you know, like my great-grandfather died, that's not the same as to say my parent died, you know what I mean? Or if, like, your wife or your husband died. I mean, that's totally intense. Anyway, when he, I and I said that to him, I said, if you just came up to me and said, hey, let's talk about this, let's, let's sit down, let's have a pizza, like, you know, have a Coke or something, and do that, I think I would have been way more receptive, because no one likes their shit aired out to... You know, mm-hmm. to people because we're, you know, we're, we all like... Put you on the defense. Yeah. You, you, everyone, yeah, totally. everyone who does that. I think that's a normal human emotion because we all have that dark side of ourselves. And then when that dark side somehow gets revealed, not only are you ashamed of it, but then you're, like you said, Caleb, you're on the defensive of like, ugh. And, but, and I mean, from that moment on, our friendship was ruined. And not because I wanted it to be ruined, because... He didn't do it out of love. He did it out of spite. He did it out of anger. He did it out of... He might have been projecting some guilt back on himself... Oh, of course. ...from his own misactions with, you know, with uh, drinking and stuff like that. Right. Might have been, you know, a lot of times... I know I have done that in the past, is done something that I felt guilty about and then didn't feel like I had served my penance for it. And then saw somebody else emulating a similar a similar behavior and feeling like oh, oh justice has to be served this time mm-hmm. kind of thing. A lot of that too is because you know uh, I was talking with one of my uh, mentors about this yesterday, and a lot of people forget to forget. Mm. They they don't understand the capacity of how. God forgets things. Like, he doesn't just forget it happened. Like, like oh, like, you remember that one time? Like, oh, well, don't worry about it. Like, I'm not worried about it. It's like, no, like, if you came to him and said, remember that one time when I did this really bad thing and I shouldn't have done it? He'll say, no. And you'd be like, but remember this happened? Be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because in his view, it's like it never even happened. Like, when he forgets like when you go to him for forgiveness and you admit something, right? And you ask for that, it's like it never even happened to God. Like it's done. But a lot of us will assassinate our future by remembering our past. Hmm. And so like in that situation, like you said, Caleb, a lot of it was his own perception of how much stuff that he did. And because he felt so much better about it, probably, that he wasn't doing it anymore, he thought, 
Brian's going to feel just as good as me if I help him out of this. So maybe he wasn't doing it out of spite, but he was also not doing it... Out of a loving heart. Out of a loving heart, right. And and so, I I mean, I bet, like, up until the point when he actually got done talking to, like, the RA and all the other people, until he was actually done doing that, I bet he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. And what's funny is is the, the floor that I lived on was uh, predominantly, like... We were all upperclassmen. That's that was a given. I was an upperclassman dorm, but most of them were musicians. And my roommate was a musician. I wasn't. I was a, a Bible, the lonely Bible guy. But <laughs> it, but and it, and it didn't help. Yeah, you weren't a musician. You were a bassist. I was a singer. So <laughs> I, I thought you were. I a bassist. was a singer. <laughs> um, no, but it didn't help that he was a, a chronic stealer. Mm. So. When you live in community, especially like in a dorm, you would have to write your name on your food. Oh or, yeah, you know your your stuff. And he would he worked late at a particular job, and he would always come home, and he never bought. I think in the two years that we lived together, he maybe went and bought groceries once. And I, it was, he would always steal my food, and then it would be like Brian would be like on a you know tape like on my pizza or like my soup, and I would come back the next day, and I'm like, where the hell is my food? And so someone actually, a couple of students on the floor actually did a sting, <laughs> like a little personal sting operation, and like he stole their food. And so when it kind of came out that this my roommate like turned me in, people instead of turning on me, they turned on him and were like, "You're an ass." Like, yeah, Brian. Brian isn't doing this because he's trying to be this you know drunk kid at this conservative Bible school. He did it because he lost his father. And that the only way he can... Like, he's drinking away his sorrows. Like, you hear that. And, I mean, legitimately, like, in hindsight, I was drinking away my sorrows. Yeah. I was I was numbing... Numbing yourself. I was numbing my pain with alcohol. But, you know, and I, and I hate it when people are like, oh, just give it to Jesus. Jesus can't take away your pain all the time. And that's a hot, hot, hot take. But sometimes, I, and now as I'm older, is maybe Jesus lets you live through your suffering to make you a better person. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the voice of God. But and it was just. It was. It was interesting where all the guys on my floor sided with me, not saying that they were proud of what I did, but they were like, "No, you fessed up. You 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 didn't hide. You weren't like." Over in the corner, being this raging alcoholic that said, I don't want help. But you were like, no, I don't want to drink. I don't want to be a drunkard. I need help. But I'm also hurting. And they saw the hurting part, and they came came together and helped me where my roommate was doing it and not the right intentions. But then when he wasn't doing it in the right intentions, was still being kind of an ass and stealing, <laughs> stealing everyone's food. Yeah, and so I look, and, and and the ironic thing is, I'm still trying to be a pastor in more of a liberal denomination, and he is a a, a, a pastor of a AG church here in the cities, and I'm not gonna, you know, out him, but it's one of those things where I look back. But there have been enough clues left throughout yeah, this episode. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't think most of those people listen. But I, kind of going what you go back, Garrett is like that was probably the most. I can talk about this story now because, I mean, years and years ago. But that it just kind of shows you kind of boundaries, shows you the intent, 
shows you, uh, I don't know, the prayerful attitude. It shows you just, just the intentions. Because you can have your good intentions of trying to do something, and maybe those good intentions aren't always the best laid out. And I'm sure that's my old roommate had the best intentions, he just didn't think it out. But I also think that you do need to go with someone if they're living a destructive lifestyle and have boundaries. So if it was like a sibling that we brought up that was doing heroin, you can be there for that sibling, for that brother or that sister, and say, I'm going to love you unconditionally, but also for my own well-being, or if you have a family, being like, you can't come over. Or I'm not going to drive you to, you know, pick up heroin. Mm -hmm. Um, But out of love, I'm going to bring you to rehab. Yeah. Or I'm going to bring you to church. I'm going to bring you to a therapist, whatever. Because out of, and that's that's boundaries. And and I think that is legitimately the kind of love that you brought up. Like that is in Corinthians. That is love is patient. Love is kind. And and I do think that's the kind of oh, love that Jesus, yeah. And like you said, like when God doesn't be like, we're like, hey God, remember when I did that? Remember when I said this? God's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And I and that's a, and that's I think what so many Christians forget is even if that's ten times a day, you know what I mean? Could be you could mess up ten times a day, and you could be like, I'm sorry, God, I didn't mean to do it. And God's like, what? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't I don't hold that. And I think that's something within Christianity that people just don't understand is like that's the kind of God I feel that that we do worship if we are Christians. We don't worship a God that's like, oh, I, I, I care about all your wrongs that you did. And that's so many the kind of God that is that we see in a society like, oh, well, you, you know, you looked at porn or you cheated on your wife or cheated on your taxes, which are, there are not all good things and they're sinful acts to do. But if you're like, hey, God, I'm sorry, I messed up, I screwed up, God's not like, well, remember that time five years ago when you did that? God's like, what did you do? I don't yeah. remember it. It's kind of like Old Testament versus New Testament, right? Right, exactly. Like, oh, I was going to say Old Testament. I mean, it would live with you, and three generations later, they'd still be paying for your sins. Right. Mm-hmm. But New Testament, you confess what you did in like the privacy of your own bedroom between you and God and Jesus and you're forgiven and just forget about it. Mm-hmm. I think that the, uh, the whole intentions thing definitely gets very nuanced because going back to that, I, I, I keep going back to this example just because I feel like it's, it's a, it's a simple kind of broken down, easily digested, um, way to try to apply this theory of absolute unconditional love. But let's say like like you just said Brian, no, I'm I'm gonna take you to rehab or I'm gonna take you to a meeting. You know, it's it just it's it's the intention there obviously is loving and yet let's say what if, you know, in in theory had you not done that and that person had not you had not interceded and the sibling had been able to hit rock bottom and maybe you know have a personal raw on the street experience in which it convicted them it wasn't forced upon them it wasn't a curriculum from a program or from an impatient 
uh, you know, hospitalization, then then that would have been more effective. It's just it's just so so much trial and error. And I'm not proposing that we can find the perfect balance between the right intention and the right application. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I, I I think that we can learn from what we go through and then what we observe others going through. But one thing I do want to say that's not just me playing devil's advocate is that even out of the most loving place in your heart saying, oh, I know what's best for you. I'm going to you know, intervene right now because I know what's best. A lot of times that does not work out for the best. I know someone whose sibling was dealing with very, very extreme mental health and drug abuse issues. And this person, my friend, whose sibling was dealing with this stuff, saw that there needed to be an intervention of some sort. Not like just like a sit down, like, hey, man, you need this. It was more extreme the than that. The friend was worried for their safety? Yes. So the friend was worried for the safety of their sibling. So what my friend did was literally, while my friend's sibling was having a manic episode, hog, well, we say in the South, hog-tied, uh, tied their, their arms and, and legs, you know, their arms behind their back and their legs together, and threw them in the back of a car and took them to a rehab facility. Mm. And that was not the right thing to do. No. Because, you know, maybe some lessons were learned in that time in the facility, but once the user, the sibling, got out of the facility, they just went right back to their old habits. And there has to be conviction, and and, and, and if you are one who believes in God or who refers to... Um, uh, coincidences as as events orchestrated by God, then you have to a- allow for God to provide the experience and the conviction in that person's life. But see, that's, that's why it gets so nuanced and so tricky. I'm not saying that it cannot be navigated. I'm just saying that navigating how to appropriately love someone right. and effectively love someone is much, much more tricky and nuanced than it, than one might assume. Oh, I, I 100% agree with that. There's, there's no right formula. Something that might work for someone, something that might have worked for me and my issue that I, my story that I brought up could be different from this friend's sibling that you brought up. Um, some people have to legitimately hit their rock bottom. And whether that's alcohol, whether that's drugs, whether that's a mental break, wh- what whatever the he or she is going through. So I agree. But I think out of that, going back to what Garrett, Garrett said the whole, you know, however long ago we've been recording, if having that, that, that part of love is the patience, it's the hope, mm-hmm. it's the faith. And that's why I think that that par- portion of Scripture is so transcendent. It transcends time. It transcends people and race and Mm -hmm. gender because it's not speaking to one person. It's speaking to everyone at all times. Mm -hmm. It's saying 
out of love, the epitome of this love that, that God gives us through through Christ, what Christians adhere to, is, yes, like you said, Caleb, there's different nuances, there's different variables. Every person is different at how they're going to accept it, receive it, um, dole it out, whatever. But out of that, and yes, boundaries, that's a huge thing that people in the church don't really ever talk about. Yeah. Is, there's healthy boundaries. There's, neg- there's negative boundaries, and and I've never heard a sermon. I've never heard like been in the, all the seminary classes that I've been in, where there's like this is the right 100 percent way to do this. It's always like every person is different. There's nuances. There's variables. But I think out of all that, going back to what Garrett said, is there's that hope though. There's that love. There's and the, the biggest thing is what I think a lot of and what I remember putting myself on the spot, is is patient. So often we don't have, as humans, not even as Christians, but as humans, we don't have patience. We want something to happen just like that. Or like, I want this person to get better. I want this person to go to rehab. Yeah. I want this person to... That's a good point. ...repent from their whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever they're, yeah. they're doing. But we have to realize that person might, in their own psyche, in their own mind, mm-hmm. have to be like, I have to hit my rock bottom. Right. yeah. Because and, when you're at your rock bottom, then you look up. And whether that's to God, whether that's to AA, whether that's to a therapist, mental health clinic, whatever, then that's what you might have to do. But out of that, you still have to have that love and mm. still come to them. And and I'll just say this. I'm the only one here that's a parent, but and you can have love in all of these different aspects. And this was brought said to me as... as from my parents, but the biggest, I think that the, the best uh, advice I ever got to being a parent was there's nothing that you can do as a child that's going to make me love you any less. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Like mm-hmm. my daughter's not even three yet. And there's some times where she acts the fool. She pisses me off to no end. But there's nothing, even if she, you know, comes home from high school, she gets expelled because she's smoking pot or, you know, doing cocaine. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be betrayed. But I'm not going to love her any less. You know what I mean? And I think that's exactly what you're saying, Garrett, is how God is with us. That love that doesn't make sense, that love that is way more patient than maybe we think it should be, um, and what you said, Caleb, as well, there's variables that mm-hmm. goes with that. It's yeah. not this, we're not tying it up with a bow and saying, here it is. But it, it, it's a love that doesn't make sense, but it's pure, that it's wonderful, it's beautiful, has boundaries, mm-hmm. but also uh, understands the nuances with mm-hmm. it. This is a good conversation. This by is the way. a good conversation. I'm, go- I'm going to now. Speak in a dialect that makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to use some Christianese now. Whoa. Okay? This is this is a way that I'm personally not fully comfortable speaking, but I think that it makes a point that if you do believe in an all-powerful, omnipotent God, then letting go and letting God is more effective than than inserting yourself into every situation with 
a cure with a with a perfect remedy for whatever the issue is. Saying, okay, well, if God is in full control and shit is just spinning out of control right now, then guess what? That's part of God's plan that shit is spinning out of control. Then this is moving towards the end of of God's plan. And that's me speaking in a dialect that I used to, you know, in a, in a you know, almost like a, a Calvinist, you know, uh, uh, you know, predetermination kind of a, a worldview. Mm-hmm. But my response to someone who would say, well, no, you, you have to get in there and you have to intervene. Um, is well, yes, of course, in love intervene. And, and we, we are, in that worldview, we are the tools which God uses to make things happen. But if something isn't going perfectly according to your plan, then there's probably a bigger picture. You know, in this worldview, there's probably a bigger picture of a, of, of a, of a greater plan going on that you you are incapable of comprehending. Yeah, I think that uh, really what you guys have been talking about, I've been it's really made me feel like saying that you know like what you just said for instance in other words could be said like you have a friend that's hurting and you love them and you want to help them but to think that you know the answer is Mm -hmm. egotistical right yeah yeah to to want to help them there's something wrong with that but to think you know the answer and then act on it without getting perspective or from what I would say, praying about it and asking for guidance from God. That's egotistical to think I know better than that person does because whatever yeah. they're going through, I know how to fix. It's not wrong to want to fix it, Mm-mm. but it is wrong to say, I know how to fix it. I'm going to do it right, right. now. Mm-hmm. And this is like the best way to do it. Right. Like when I was dealing with, um, different addictions we'll say um i would try to stop and i would try to stop and over and over again i would go back to the thing i was addicted to until one day finally i said god i've been trying this on my own this whole time will you please help me stop this and as soon as i did that i no longer had any desire to do it anymore i tried to do it by myself what like couldn't stop, but as soon as I let my ego go and realize that my way hasn't been working for the last however many years I've been dealing with this, it was like not only was it super easy, but it was a huge weight off my shoulders because I realized I didn't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. That there was something, someone, God there to help me with it, and I don't think that. You know, one thing I really like about that scripture is, like you said, it transcends all religions, all races, sex, creed, whatever. Love is a universal language. Like you could go to another country where they don't speak Mm. the same language as you. And if you look at them with hatred, they're going to react in hatred. If you look at them in love, they're going to feel the love coming from you. It's almost like a like a scent or, you know, like it's, yeah, it's right. like yeah, yeah, you right. radiate it. Right, right. And so I like a lot what you said where like you're saying, well, maybe they just need to hit like the bottom. Maybe that's part of the plan. And 
I think in a way it can be because God loves you so much that he won't intervene in your life. He's letting you be in control of your life. He loves you so much like a parent, right? Like they'll let you mess up because they, because they know that if they don't let you mess up and learn that you won't. Right. It's like taking a friend someplace that they haven't decided to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't their decision. So when they get out of that place, they're going to go back to whatever it was they were doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so like if with God, it's like, and I almost feel like we sh- like even like talking about this in like Christian terms or God terms, you know, I guess I don't know. Is this like a more like Christian podcast? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Spiritual? Christian, is this spiritual, a spiritual podcast? Yeah. Because some of us in the podcast are Christians, some of us are atheists, but I think a lot of us have had some sort of Christian spirituality okay. within our background. So let's say, like, before I was a Christian, I've only been called myself a Christian for, like, two years. Mm-hmm. Before that, I used the word the universe. Mm-hmm. I would say the universe brought me to this place. Mm-hmm. The universe brought us together. Now, in my opinion, mm. God is the king of the universe and the creator of the universe, which actually made things easier for me to understand. Mm-hmm. But we'll just say that with the universe, right? You get out of the universe whatever you put into it. Mm-hmm. So if you're constantly putting love into the universe, sure. that's what's going to come back to you. And I guess I don't really know how I got on that topic. But <laughs> I guess my point is that... When it is 100% love and you're not expecting anything in return and you are trying to help people, you also have to understand how your ego works and be able to let that ego down and know, I love this person so much that I'm going to ask for guidance. And not only am I going to ask for guidance, but when I get it, I'm going to act on it. Mm -hmm. Because... I've been in situations before where I've asked for guidance, but I didn't like the answer. So I did what I wanted to do anyway. Right. And then I went to the same place where I was at before anyway. Right. And so, and like what you're talking about, we're talking about with like the person who, your old roommate, right? That can be really hard too, because like you, like when I was in, all the way until like my junior year of high school, I never drank. Me and my friends didn't drink. We didn't smoke or party or anything. We played video games and stayed up all night drinking Mountain Dew. Yeah, mm-hmm. and same. In and high that's school. what we did. But like my sister partied, my oldest brother partied, my other brother just like did daredevil stuff, like ride dirt bikes and jump mopeds, mm-hmm. break yeah. things. But um, but I remember before. I ever like had beer I had such a negative stigma towards it like I thought that everyone who drank or smoked weed was bad and and I didn't even grow up in like a religious household really right like that was just like I didn't associate with that also I have a twin sister that did associate with that and I saw the direction she was going in and her friends and I didn't know them at all but I assumed that I did. And so I viewed that all in a certain way. And then eventually I had a beer. Then eventually I tried smoking weed. 
And I was like, oh, this doesn't kill you or make you a bad person. Right. Right. But if you're all the way on the other side of the fence where like you're um, drinking handles of vodka, 175s, and you're facing them, and maybe you already feel a lot of guilt about that. And then you go through this experience where you feel like totally saved now. Like you, your life's been turned around and you feel really good about that. And you want other people to have that too. And you change your lifestyle. One of two things can happen. A, you can think you know how to fix everyone. Mm-hmm. But B, your old association, even if you don't like project it on them. Like let's say like you went and hung out with the group that you used to hang out with that does that stuff. And they said, hey, you you want a beer? And you're like, no, I don't drink anymore. You ever tried that in a group of drinkers? They will look at you like you're judging them for drinking. Right. Even if you're not. And so I guess I really don't know where I'm going with all this. But, yeah. But it's, it's in that situation, when you're put in that situation then, then how do you treat those people? Do you still love them even though they're acting that way towards you for making a personal decision? Yeah, right. Well, and that's the thing is that you can't control how other people think of you. Um, Sorry, I like, totally went. Like, no, 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 no fine. That's great. And, and yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying, Garrett, is, I mean, I agreed with like literally everything you said, but it goes to, like, I've had friends who have just stopped drinking or like friends in college of mine who would drink and party with me and for whatever reason, maybe for health, maybe because they're a parent and they don't want to drink in front of their kids, uh, that they don't do it anymore. And I don't think they look at me now as someone who still does drink. And like, I always joke that those only times I really drink is on the weekends or like when we do sacred collective, because that's really the only time I do drink. But it is tough. And like exactly what you said, I've been in situations before where I might go out with a group of people who literally their intent is to get wasted, to get fucked up, to get, you know, totally hammered. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to drink. I'm not feeling it. And like you said, they get this like communal, like, well, are you better than us? No, it has nothing to do. If I'm better than you, I just choose not to drink. Yeah. Just if someone comes over to my house and if they're like, Hey, can I have like two shots of whiskey? Be like, sure. And if they're like, are you, aren't you going to have it? Be like, no, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Or I'm not drinking anymore. And they might be like, well, it's this automatic. And I think that's maybe built in, not even religiously, but built into societal. Because, you know, when most people drink, they drink in a group. You know, that's normal. You know, a lot of people don't like to go to bars by themselves because they're like, oh, they're going to perceive me as an alcoholic. They're going to perceive me, blah, blah, blah. So we like to drink in groups of people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think it is tough. Because you don't want any of your friends or family to, to judge you as, like, that person who's judging them, that person who is silently judging them, which you're not doing that at all. Um, but I still think that goes back to sticking to your guns and, and being, like, not even saying it to them, but just internally yourself. Just being like, I'm still going to love you no matter what. You and, and I think we in our culture get so obsessed with what other people think about us Mm. yep you know and i and i struggle with that all the time like i said something at my church service the other day when i was at a service and i thought it was a question and it turned in more to a statement Mm. and i sometimes 
do that. Instead of saying, I have this question, it'll turn into like a two-minute statement. And I can tell other people are probably thinking, what the hell, Brian? There you go again. But then sometimes I'm usually a person that like comes home and I'm like, like, what are these people going to think about? And lately, I've just realized that I'm like, you know what? Stop. You know, I can't control what other people are going to think. Some people might like me. Some people might hate me. That's life. That's great. I'm not doing it in an ill will or bad intent or anger or judgmental. I'm just, I just said what I said and, and I move on. I think it's interesting that um, we will automatically go to that side of things. Like these people are all thinking something really negative about what I just said versus I bet you that that statement helps someone out. Could be. Versus yeah. thinking that, like, you know what? I feel kind of silly that that came out that way. It wasn't my intent. But I bet someone needed to hear that, and it helped them. You know, I think, like, one, I guess if you want to call it breakthrough that I've had recently is I used to have a lot of trust issues with people that were trying to help me. Mm-hmm. And after enough time of them still loving me and wanting to help me anyway and doing whatever they could to help me and and um, getting around enough what I would say positive association and read enough books and doing enough positive things I realized that it wasn't them that I couldn't trust it was myself for stuff that I wasn't letting go of that I had given up on in the past like whether it was like Probably going to sound dumb to a lot of people, but when I was really little, I got into wrestling. I just, whatever my older brothers did, I was like, I'm just going to do that. So I'm the youngest one of four. I have a twin sister, and I have two older brothers. And so whatever they did, I was like, I want to do that too, because it was that was the cool thing to do. And so they got into wrestling, so like I'm going to wrestle too. First wrestling meet, I got put in a headlock, started crying, ran out of there, and my parents said, you don't have to wrestle anymore then if you don't want to. So I never had to go back to the mat and face that fear. And so pretty much for the rest of my life, if anything ever got too hard, or I faced enough opposition at a job, in a relationship, mm. whatever it was, um, I would just go the other direction. Yeah. I would just turn around and run the other way. And that kind of built the track record with myself of not trusting myself to actually complete anything I set out to complete. I'd set goals, but they'd be like crazy goals that like, it didn't, like, they were cool to say, but I knew I'd never hit them. So I never had to actually like live up to it. And so figuring that out and forgetting about it and learning how to trust myself, it's like love. Like if you don't love yourself first, if you don't know how to do that. It is so hard to actually love other people because you can't really walk in love if you're not giving it to yourself, too. Like, how can you give love to someone else if you don't love yourself? Yeah. You know, it kind of comes down to, like, um, to just that. Like, in, I guess, for me, it's, it's like um, before I got a dog... And I had a puppy. I didn't really care about much of anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about my time. I would have like I was just the answer to everything for me was just work more because that'll fix it. 
Um, and that was just after lots of silly things that just come and go. Um, and then I got a dog and I was like, man, like my life is really just flashing before my eyes here. And now I have this living thing that's relying on me to like take care of it. And I was like, wow, like I really need to start caring more Mm -hmm. and not letting things run my life. Like just the want of more stuff. I mean, what you said, though, it just hit me like a ton of bricks because so often we have a hard time loving ourselves. I mean, let's be brutally honest, not just to us here, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners, uh, it's just tough to love yourself because you know the things that you're good at, you know, like your positive characteristics, and you also know the shit that you hide that you don't want anybody to know about. You don't even want yourself to know about whatever that is, A through Z. And trying to love other people, whether friendships, uh, a partner, you know, a husband or wife, trying to love them the best way that you can without loving yourself, super tough, you know. And I think, and I mean, I was just going to make some snide comment, but it's true. I mean, I feel like it's church up in here, (laughs) literally. I mean, because we're... whether we use Christian language or not, but I think while we started the Sacred Collective is to have honest conversations. And I think this is a very, very deep dive into honest conversations. And and I feel like a lot of times we come in here with anger, with hurt and trauma, which is very valid and very true. But sometimes and I and I like what you're saying, Garrett, is you're you you know, you're kinda not not calling us out and I don't want to use that in the like a negative way but calling us out of like hey no we need to put our ego down we need to put some of maybe that hurt or anger or frustration to love ourselves because once we do that then maybe our blinders will come down of our self-hate our self whatever you want to say our self poor self-image yeah poor self-image self-destructive and and that can go a long way because I feel like we, in a lot of times, people in church, and I will say this, I grew up in a, in a tradition and in a church where, you know, if you did something bad or shitty, yeah, everyone in the church knew about it, and you should feel terrible and bad, and God can forgive you. But I think, you know, now as an adult and not as a teenager, they meant well in what they said, but they just uh, said it the wrong way. And they pushed it the wrong way. And instead of hating yourself and being like you're a terrible person is, you need to die to... Kind of going back to that kind of like scriptural, you need to die to yourself. And I think whether... And I would say whether you're a Christian or not, I think this goes back to that kind of transcendent analogy of whether you're a Christian or not, I think all of us can say whether you worship a God or not, we can all die to ourselves a little bit. You know, we all have shitty things we do in our lives. We all do things that get in the way of our true self. And once you can die to that and say, I'm not going to let this control me anymore. I'm not going to do this destructive lifestyle or this destructive behavior. Once you can put that to the side, then, I mean, the sky's the limit at what you can achieve as 
as a person, whether in a relationship or your own self. Yeah, you know, the person you talk to that you talk to more than anyone else is yourself. Yeah. And for sure, people don't really, they're never taught how much impact that really has on you, your words. I mean, you know, you can read different types of books. You can read a uh, a book called What to Say When You're Talking to Yourself, and uh, which is a uh, more, um, what's another word for not religious? Like Spiritual? No. Self-help? Sect? Secular? Secular book, thank you. <laughs> it is a self-help book, but it's secular, right? It's about science. This guy wrote a book. He studied the human brain. He studied how you form thought patterns. He studied how all that stuff happens and how many times you hear the word no before you're 18 Mm -hmm. and how you've trained your brain to think a certain way by the words that you speak or what you say to yourself. But you can fix that by actually speaking out loud positive words about yourself. When you catch yourself, you can have a positive thought or you can say a positive word to, re- to rebuttal it. Mm-hmm. And the more you do that, you'll change your thought patterns. You rewrite the grooves in your brain that make up your words. Right. You can read a book that's very religious and spiritually based called Hung by the Tongue. And it brings all scripture into it talking about how the words that you speak come true. And like if, imagine if every word that you spoke came true right when you said it. Right? Like stuff like that. Like It's kind of creepy. It is. But imagine if like... So one thing I was thinking about before that just came back to me. Like we were talking about how, you know, because you're in 100% love and you want to help other people, sometimes you will do things thinking that you know the answer, right? Well, sometimes that can happen too because you don't fully understand or maybe even believe. But let's say, well, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about how if you believe enough and you ask for something, you could ask that mountain to move and it'll move. Right? And so a lot of people, because they don't believe in prayer or anything let's say and they think everything's on their own power when they see someone hurting like that they even if they do come from like a religious background or they grew up in the church that doesn't mean necessarily that they believe everything they pray for is going to come true or that they pray for it in a way that they believe it's going to come true well certain branches of christianity do i'll just say that but because i have relatives that and I agree 100% with what you're saying, but I'm saying there's always kind of like what Caleb said, the nuance of I have relatives, cousins who are what you call name and claim it Christians, if you've heard of that, where you name it, whatever that it is, and then you claim it in the name of Jesus. And they think that because you did that, it's this magic words that you said that somehow Jesus is going to poof make it happen mm. but they don't actually follow up with action no they don't follow up with it well and their action is prayer but that's it but then they're just like so instant I had a and I know these relatives don't listen to our podcast <laughs> at all but 
my my dad's um, younger sister, my aunt, um, she was diagnosed many years ago with stomach cancer, and two out of the three people are in ministry, and my one cousin who's a pastor, you know, they all prayed as a family, my uncle, my cousins, they prayed in the name of God that they bound this cancer up in the name of Jesus, blah, 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 blah. And the cancer went away. And so they were like, in their head and in their mind, they were like, Jesus took this away. By the grace of God, this is a miracle, blah, 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 blah. It's never going to happen. Two years later, that cancer came back with a vengeance. And it was like 20 times worse. And my aunt got like 90% of her stomach removed. Because this cancer was spreading like wildfire. And she knew she was dying. My relatives knew she was dying. But they were like, within their worldview, within their mindset, they were like, I know we're going to name it in the name of Jesus, and we're going to claim it in the name of Jesus. And guess what happened? My aunt died. And my past, or my cousin, who's a pastor, was absolutely floored. And almost left the ministry and was like, but I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I named it. I claimed it. And this person died. Hmm. And I and that that is just an offshoot of Christianity. But there are, and when we talk about Christianity, it's we can't ever. T- we're not talking just about liberal Christianity or progressive Christianity. We have to talk about the fundamentalists, the the evangelicals, the name of claimeth, the prosperity people. Because whether we like to admit or not, if you claim yourself a Christian, there are our brothers and sisters. And maybe maybe we need to, you know, hit them a little bit and to be like, hey, you know, that's not really an accurate thing. But anyway, I don't like, I don't know where I'm necessarily going with it. But that was just a caveat as there are a lot of Christians who do think that you're just going to pray and things are going to get better, which yeah. doesn't exist. It's uh, like with what you were talking about, you know, what what came to mind for me was um, I mean, I have no perspective on that situation because I've never been in it. I guess for me to hear that your cousin was ready to leave the ministry because that had happened, which I don't know if they did or not, but no, they didn't, but. They move churches. But, you know, that, I don't even really want to talk about that, actually. I think what's really hitting me right now is why does there have to be so many different ways to say that you're a Christian? Like, I've never, like, it, being a newer Christian and, like, being in lots of different Settings, let's say, because like I, I've gone to lots of different churches in the last couple of years trying to find some place that I like to go, and I've been to a lot of places I do like, but I've also been kind of like searching, like that there'd be one place that I could go where I really feel like I don't know, I'm getting whatever I'm supposed to get, and it's just been like really. Interesting, I guess, for me that there's so many different ways to be a Christian. 
Yeah. And I think that's where, like, the love thing probably came up for me was that it's just like, if the most important thing is love above everything else, and that's what being a follower of Christ really truly means to me, is that you have that love no matter what, then why does there have to be so much separation between I'm this kind of Christian, I'm that kind of Christian, I'm a Catholic, I'm a, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Baptist, I'm all these different things that are man-made. Right. Like, my aunt was almost um, a nun. She was like, going to be a sister or whatever, you know, she mm. grew up very Catholic, my mom's sister. But one of the coolest things to me about her is how loving she is. There's not one type of person that would ever meet her that would think, oh, she doesn't like me because of this. She has gay friends, straight friends, all different races. She's gone all around the world and traveled and met all sorts of different people. And and even though like she grew up in a very Catholic household and she's Catholic, it's never once stopped her from loving all people. And I guess like when I see stuff on social media or in the news, which like I don't even have a TV, so luckily I don't <laughs> have to turn on the news ever. I only, Count your blessings. I only read whatever people post about, you know, which, mm-hmm. and that I usually try to ignore too because I don't know where their sources are. But uh, it's just been a weird thing for me that's just like, there's so many people that call themselves Christians and call themselves followers of Jesus and God. And yet they still find a way to twist the word or use it in a way that allows them to hate. Yeah. And I I would say this. I think the word that comes to mind is tribalism. Meaning... We all as human beings like to be in our own tribes. I'm not talking about necessarily friend groups or religiously speaking, we like to be, it's tribalism, at least in a Christian religious context, is Catholics like to be around Catholics. Why? Because they all agree the same way. Uh... Liberal Protestants like to be around liberal Protestants because we mostly agree the same way. Progressives like to be around progressives because they agree the same way. And when you have a dissenting view within your progressive liberalism, then you feel attacked, you feel triggered, you're whatever. And I agree with you. Like when someone's like, if someone's like, I'm a Catholic or I'm Pentecostal, I don't look at you. And say, oh, well, you're a different kind of Christian. I'm like, no, you're a Christian. And I think as much as people like to say they don't like labels, that's bullshit. Because everyone likes labels. Let's be honest. Do you think they like labels? Or is what they've been, what they've learned growing up is that there are labels? I think both. Because, I mean, I don't need the label as a husband to know that I am a husband. Because I, I, I live out what being a husband is to my wife. But yet, our culture and our world says, 
no, if you are these things and you're a male, you're a husband, you know, or, and I mean, and I'm not saying that that's just a microcosm, but that's a really a, good example. But as a Christian, you know, you, you, someone's like, and I don't believe that there's this like secret prayer that you say that becomes, makes you a Christian. I feel like if you read the teachings of Jesus and you adhere to them, there by default you are a Christian. Um, but I do think human beings, we love having labels. Even though we hate saying that we like being part of labels, labels define who we are as humans because we all are, we're defined by labels. Whether, and I mean, look at, look, look even in the political thing. Are you Republican or are you Democrat? Well, I'm neither. Then what are you? Are you independent? Are you libertarian? Then there's these sub-genres of of labels that you are. Or, you know, you. I mean, even if someone's like, I don't, I'm not a husband or I'm not a wife, but even in our culture, if you're living with someone for, I think in America, for seven or more years, you're called a domestic husband or a domestic wife. So it's it's these labels. We... we so many times when I, I mean, I've been to so many conferences and hear so many speakers that's talked about labels this and we don't like that. We need to transcend that. But it's like as human beings, we're a culture where we're a people, we're a species that loves labels. And I agree with you. If someone's like, are you a Christian? I'll be like, yeah. They'll be, and then the next question, the follow up was, what kind? Who are you? You know, it's like, are you a conservative? Or are you a liberal? I'll be like, I'm a liberal. What denomination? Oh, I'm United Church of Christ. Oh, okay. I wish that I got all those follow-ups. I wish that I didn't have to instigate all the clarifications of what I mean when I say I'm a Christian. Because when I tell people I'm a Christian, I immediately I say, no, no, but, but wait, no, not... Not that kind. Not that thing that right. you're thinking of. And, um... Yeah, That's I really... Sad. sad that you have to say Yeah, that. it is sad. And um, I like a lot of what both of you all just expressed because, um, you know, I in my own experience, I've been a Christian for 31 years. You know, Garrett Since here... Since you were born? Garrett here has been a Christian for two. And it's really interesting for us to be in, in the same, like, terrarium of America... You know, in the in the same exposed to the same variables and same iterations of modern Western Christianity, and to see how our uh, our reactions and our um, our priorities are both similar and different, and um, I think I honestly suspect that. A lot of people at the church that you regularly attend, not Revolution, um, or, or maybe other churches that you attended in your in your um, journey to finding those churches, would would say that I am absolutely not a Christian. But I think that the, the at the core of what I am trying to express when I say that I am a Christian. Is this the topic that you chose tonight? Is love? Is seeking to emulate this archetype of Christ, this idyllic 
loving, selfless attitude and um, and and a part of the beauty of it is that a lot of times we try to be loving and selfless, but then we fuck it up. Like like we said earlier, like you 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 throw someone in the back of a car to go to rehab, and it turns out that was the wrong thing to do. You know, but then you learn from that, and then you you, you move forward and. And you learn from your past experiences, not even mistakes, but just experiences, because all, all that we have to go off of is, is what we've learned so far. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it, it's beautiful that, that there are so many different um, types of Christianity and Christians. And it is frustrating the tribalism that you encounter when, like... When someone, if I'm talking to someone and we're speaking Christianese back and forth, like we don't know each other too well, and we're talking about how we both go to church and stuff, and we both are obviously very familiar with scripture, and then it comes up that I am a progressive, as they would say, the entire dynamic of the conversation shifts. And I am almost othered. I'm almost made an enemy then to them, like, oh, my, oh, he's one of them, hmm. you know. But but it's like we're on the same fucking team here. Mm-hmm. It's almost like going up to someone that isn't a believer and just saying I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing, almost. It's that yeah. separation. It's good, yeah. yeah, very similar. Like, oh, you're one of those. Like, yeah, exactly. you're, are you a Jesus freak? But it's right, so sad, right, yeah. and, I, and I think what we're all saying here too to kind of wrap it up before because this is a conversation that we could talk for hours upon hours on but I think at least the end to kind of encapsulate it is it's sad as Christians whatever you describe Christianity to be or what a Christian is is we have to admit we have to have that caveat of like I'm not that kind of Christian or I am this kind of Christian you know it can't be based out of like what you said Garrett out of Corinthians 13 you know faith hope love and the greatest one of these is love like the Beatitudes and I actually listened to a podcast actually of a guy that's going to be on earth in in about a month or so where he's like there's a lot of Christians who are trying to get the Ten Commandments not taken out but to put more instead of looking at the Ten Commandments to make it the Beatitudes I'm not saying that the Ten Commandments are bad, but the Beatitudes, I think, are something that most human beings, whether you're a Christian or not, can adhere to. Um, And it is sad when I have to tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian, and they automatically, like, do-do-do-do, you know, these, like, little Mm -hmm. antennae come up on their head to be like, oh, you're going to judge me, you're going to do this. And then when they find out that I do a podcast, and that I swear sometimes, and that I drink, and... I wear band T-shirts that aren't Christian bands. And they see they see your sweet tats, and then I'm all no. And I still to the, I, I work at a pretty progressive liberal school, and when people are like, "You're a Christian, you're all tatted up," and I'm like, "Yeah," and they're like, "Your church or denomination doesn't care." I'm like, "No," I'm like, "My tattoos don't define me. I define myself," you know, and I don't know. Yeah, it's. I think a, a lot. Trip. Of, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the reason that people's perspectives are so skewed on it also is because when we grow up, 
we're taught to ask and answer one question, which is, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. What do you want to do? And basically, that question teaches us that we're not a who, we're an it. Yeah, for sure, 100%. We're not taught who do you... Who do you want to be as a person? What do you want to be known for? How do you want to live? If you're taught those questions instead, what do I want to be known for? I want to be known for having Christ-like love. Exactly. How do I want to live? I want to live in love and have everyone around me feel that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, who do I want to be as a person? I want to be a person that I can honestly say at the end of the day when I look in the mirror that I did everything in love today. Mm. And that, again, transcends all religion and everything, in my opinion, because it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or a Christian or Buddhist or whatever. If that really was what was the primary thing that everyone was going after, think of how many problems there wouldn't be in the world. Preach. My favorite thing, and I'll just say this, yeah, and then we should, totally. do, then we should do recommendations, is... I forget who said this. It was a theologian, but they're like, at the end of your life, I mean, obviously you're not going to remember, but when you're dead in your casket or your urn or whatever, you're going to want people to say what they remembered you by is not, oh, he was a drinker, he was a partier, he he was an asshole. You want them to be like, they loved people unconditionally. They gave them the shirt off their back. You want to leave a legacy and to me, like, when I die, yeah, people are going to be like, Brian messed up, he did stupid things, whatever. That's We all have that narrative in our life. But at the end of my life, whether I die tomorrow or I die 40, 50, 60 years from now, I want people to know me as he loved people, he cared about people unconditionally, he loved them unconditionally, he loved God unconditionally, and he radiated that. Mm. And at the end of the day, if that's how people remember you by that is a legacy that I would rather have than yeah. be like, he was a millionaire. He drove all these nice cars. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I think how you live your life is a way more important than the things or the jobs, you know, those things that you have. I'm, I'm fascinated by this conversation. I just have to say I loved it. Thank you, Garrett, for... yeah. For bringing it, it was good. We got deep, deep dive. You passed the test, Garrett. Come back. It's come time ba- to initiate you. Come back anytime. Into the sacred anytime. collective. Okay, that was a creepy voice. A, anyway, I was trying to be Scottish. It didn't really work. No, I'm Scottish, and that was not Scottish whatsoever. Maybe you're. I was a little worried, but not super worried. I have to drive him home, so you can't do anything too bad to me. That's true. No, we're going to do recommendations. I have two. I'll make them quick. One of my recommendations is the show on Hulu called High Fidelity. It's based based off the book, but based off the show, or off the movie that John Cusack was in called High Fidelity a number of years ago, that um, John Cusack was in and Jack Black. This is a whole reimagining of it in Zoe Kravitz. So Lenny Kravitz's daughter is the main star. Um, They have a lot of creative license in it, but it's freaking phenomenal. She's a record store owner. And the musical person, the executive producer for the music is Questlove. No. 
So the freaking music is bonkers. It is amazing. I mean, it's phenomenal. If you like music, if you like vinyl, watch the show. It's amazing. All and what I love with not all of Hulu, but with this series, all episodes dropped like last Friday. So I'm totally binge watching it. High Fidelity on Hulu is phenomenal. The other one I'm going to recommend is um, the band called He Is Legend. Um, I've always been a fan of them since their tooth and nail days. Uh, they're, it's hard to describe their... Give some southern rock vibes. But their new, their new album, their new album came out. They kind of were MIA for a while. Um, I get paid soon, so I'm going to buy their new album that came out summer of 2019. But it's called White Bat, and it's freaking heavy. So it's like southern rock has a little bit of country vibe, but it's mostly just dirty, dirty southern rock. Yeah. A little bit of hardcore, a little Lots bit of, of little bit of melodic in there, uh, almost a little Rob Zombie esque of getting into more of like monster horror creature. Um, I'm just fascinated by it. I've always been a fan of them. So he is legend. Their album White Bat. Do you have one, Garrett? Uh, a couple of things came to mind. Um, I'll do a show first, and then. Uh... Uh, artist, musician as well. Um, the show for me that was really impactful and it's really cool because it's completely based off of donation. There's no network involved. Um, oh. They have an app out. It's called The Chosen. Um, and basically this guy started it, but his whole focus on it is to... It starts out in the beginning of the Gospels. And what's cool is it goes to a different perspective of the disciples before they met Jesus and what their life was actually like. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of like the seventh episode, it kind of ends at a point where Jesus finally tells someone publicly that he can go, that the lady at the well, basically, that she should go tell people about him now. And... Uh, it was just really cool because, like, the way that they depicted, the way that they lived before they met Jesus and while they were meeting him and stuff. And um, I guess the coolest thing for me was how they actually depicted, like, the miracles that Jesus performed happening. Mm-hmm. Wasn't, like, special, like, really special effect or anything. Right. But, like, the way that they showed it and filmed it. Like, as artists, they really captured, like, the raw emotion on it. Like, there wasn't one, like, monumental or, like, big thing that happened in the show that I didn't, like, tear up over. Wow. Wow. It was really cool. Cool. Um, The second thing I'll give a shout-out to is at uh, a weekend leadership event I was at recently. Um, There was a gal there named Jen Bostic. She's really big in Europe right now. She's got like one of the number one selling um, songs in like Europe or England or something like that. And she's working her way through the United States too. But what's really cool about what she does is she doesn't just put on like a concert, but she tells a story of how she came about songs and wrote them 
and like this whole journey that she went through broken up with songs so she'll tell a story of how she mm. got to a point where she wrote the song and what happened leading up to it and then sing that song and it really just it's through her story you hear a lot about how much you can overcome and what you can accomplish what is actually possible that any single person can do with anything they want to do in their life it doesn't have to be related to music but by just like really finding out who you are and what you're capable of and it was just really cool um hearing how she overcame so much adversity and what she had to go through because she went through like a stage where she was just like ghostwriting music just because and she would just write dumb songs for really popular artists that would sell right but then she got tired of that and started wanting to write her own music and then write more meaningful music and then eventually led her back to more praise and worship type stuff and it's just really cool hearing like her whole journey expressed in that story and song format cool um i will recommend a podcast i think i may have done recommended this like a year ago or something but it's a podcast called the worst idea of all time used to be when i listened to podcasts i'd want to listen to like you know spiritually related Shows and now just I produce so many of those that I just want a reprieve, a little bit of a break from that. So it's it's a silly show. It's by two New Zealand comics, um, Guy Montgomery and Tim Bat, and um, the show started by them choosing to watch the movie Grown Ups Two <laughs> once a week for a year straight. And giving a review on the movie after they watched it every time. Uh, <laughs> Garrett's face right now. Yeah, that's why it's called the worst idea of all time. Uh, yeah, and so that makes sense. yeah, and so eventually, <laughs> yeah, so they they after that it's so absurd. It is absurd. After that year ended, um, they moved on to different ventures. They watched Sex in the City two for a year. And reviewed it every time, and then, but anyway, they they just now finished a run on. Um, they watched the new cinematic version of the musical Cats. Oh my god, that's uh, they watched at it, the box office. Yeah, they watched it uh, daily for a week. Oh. So they have nightmares, probably. I'm sure the people who saw the movie in general had nightmares. It was terrible. Yeah, so they they uh, they, they did that. It, but it's it's not. I'm not recommending it for the content of the shows. The guys are just so funny, and they decide to put themselves in these like, you know, just like torturous yeah. situations. And Let's it's see it, what we can do. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of times when they, you know, spoiler alert, you know, quote unquote. They, but they, but they're like they they swear that they have that they're gonna have to quit and it's too much and it's you know it's overwhelming but it's a funny show it's yeah. a good show to, to to get into so that's my recommendation sweet well thanks for listening and until next time we out thanks for being part of our conversation to continue the conversation find us on social media at sacred mn if you enjoyed this show, you might also like Loosen the Bible Belt with Kristen Becker and myself, Jay Baker. What do you think we should do? I mean, if we, is there a way for us to... 
be loving and compassionate to people who are on a journey and might not completely understand where, you know, like where we're at yet or haven't arrived to accept the idea of a trans pastor or a gay pastor. I mean, do we cut them out or do we try to create a space for them to come along? You know, I think that everyone deserves the opportunity to come along if that's what they want. And I don't believe that uh, the progressive folks um, or any, you know, folks should demean or diminish anyone whose opinion or thoughts or perspectives are different. Now, what I do hope we do um, as people with a more progressive lens, uh, but I still kind of consider myself to be conservative in some respects. Uh, but what I do hope the progressive uh, movement uh, does is provide uh, education and opportunities for people to really be uh, educated about their options and their perspectives and what their choices are. I think we shouldn't polarize the religious landscape. I think we should just offer as much information as possible so that people are making informed decisions. That was a post-Christian podcast.